Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. In this series, Flip the Script, we're examining how Jesus flipped the script on first century Jewish culture. And their way of life was based upon the law of Moses and their interpretation of the law. It was extremely legalistic and it was not life-giving. And that first week of the series, we looked at the woman that was caught in adultery and her accusers sought to stone her. They wanted uh, justice without mercy. And so they were wanting to stone her, but Jesus flipped the script and allowed mercy to reign. And by the end of that event, they had dropped their rocks and they were walking away. And Jesus looked at her and he says, woman... Do you have any accusers? And praise the Lord, mercy reigned. Amen? The second week, Pastor Andrew spoke about forgiveness. And when Peter tried to impress Jesus by offering to forgive someone more than twice as many than tradition taught them to, twice as many times as as tradition taught them to, Jesus flipped the script once again by going against tradition and showed Peter what true forgiveness is. And true forgiveness doesn't really keep a a, a score of wrong, a record of wrongs. If you're keeping score, if you're keeping up with how many times you have forgiven someone, then you're not really trying to forgive them. That is one thing that just impressed me so much from, from, from that message. And then last week, we looked at loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. This is not easy. This is one of the hardest things to walk out, to love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. Jesus not only flipped the script and, and, and taught this, he lived this. And I gave you some examples last week on how Jesus walked this out in this uh, it was an oppressed Jewish society, and they were taught, even by their religious leaders, to hate the Romans. But hanging on a cross, man, that, this was a powerful moment. Hanging on a cross, Jesus prayed for their forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for his enemies, displaying the ultimate example of how to love your enemies. And today we're going to end this series But we're going to end this series with one of my favorite subjects and a subject that I have taught more than any other subject in the history of my career. In my ministry career, I have not taught any subject more than I've taught this one, and it's the subject of Sabbath. Now, for some of you, you haven't been here for our annual Sabbath, and I'm just going to give you a a brief synopsis of this, okay? And, and, And then I'm going to tell you about a couple of changes, okay? So... Back in, in the summer of 2007, the end of June, we held our very first vacation Bible school, just a handful of volunteers, and we had our first vacation Bible school. And it was successful, but we came out of it exhausted. And we were just so tired. Patrick, you were there, man. You remember this. We were so tired. And you have to remember, our church was just less than a year old, and we had just spent the entire year growing, planting and growing this church. And, and, and God blessed us, but we had to put forth some effort and we were serving our community. We were doing everything we could to try and, and, and grow the church. And, and we, we came out of vacation Bible school just tired. I could see it in their eyes. I could see it in our faces. And so I called the church to a month of Sabbath. And what that meant was we were gonna meet on Sunday morning still have Sunday worship services on Sunday mornings, but we were canceling everything else. No Wednesday night services for the month of July, no small groups, nothing else was going to take place. We were going to rest. 
Little did I know when I did that, that that was going to become part of our culture, that this was going to become an annual thing for us. But I believe that because of our observance of, of a month of Sabbath, and there's nothing scriptural about a month of Sabbath, okay? It's just, it's the seventh month, seventh day, but to be honest with you, it would just happen to work out because we were tired. And so there's nothing scriptural about it, but I can tell you this, the spirit of Sabbath, there is plenty scriptural about that. And God has blessed us. He has blessed us as a church as we've experienced this together every year during the month of July. He has restored marriages because of this. I believe that through the teachings of Sabbath, I believe I've watched homes be restored. I've watched people prioritize their lives and get things back in a divine order. And God has extremely blessed us because of this. With all of that being said, this year we're going to flip the script. Over the past 14 years, almost 15 years, uh, we have preached 62 sermons on the subject of Sabbath. 62. I've been invited to speak at other churches, and and I I figured out I was becoming known as a Sabbath preacher. It's not what I wanted to be known for, okay? And and this year, we're going to do things a little bit different. I'm not going to be preaching the subject of Sabbath every Sunday in July like I have in years past. We've got plenty of those in the archives. If you want to learn more about Sabbath, go, go to, our face, or, uh, sorry, to our website or to our app. Go back to July of every year of the history of our church, and you can hear me preach on Sabbath, okay? So there's plenty of opportunities for you to, to, to learn and glean from that. Instead, here's what's going to happen. So that we can experience a true Sabbath with, with our, our teaching staff, me, Pastor Andrew, and Pastor Scott, we're, we're going to kind of rotate throughout the month of July, and we're going to teach on some other subjects, but I, I wanted you to know we're still participating in a month of Sabbath, and I'm, I'm still asking you as a church family, take it easy. Work the necessary hours that it takes to keep your job, but, but take it easy, relax, focus on your relationship with God, with your spouse, with your children, and with, with friends, and let God just be God in your life, and, and, and I'll touch on this some more in a moment, but I think sometimes we, we work like it all depends on us. And learning to trust God in all this is going to be the key. That's the spirit of Sabbath. There was once a pastor who desperately wanted to go play golf. And his name was Rocky. And no, no, no. There was once a pastor who desperately wanted to go play golf. And the problem was that as he looked at his calendar, as he looked at his schedule, there were no days available for him to go. His calendar was just slammed full. And so there were no days for him to go. And so finally, one day this pastor, he decided that he was just going to take a Sunday off and just go. But he didn't tell anybody because, I mean, how would that look? The pastor taking a Sunday off to go play golf. God forbid, right? So you couldn't let that happen. So as he stepped up to that first tee box on that, that Sabbath day, God looked down from heaven and and. St. Peter standing beside him, and, and God said, Peter, he said, I, I'm going to teach this guy. I'm going to teach him to honor the Sabbath. The pastor was shooting the game of his life. I mean, he had never hit the ball this, this great. And on the last hole, the pastor hits his tee shot. It flies off the tee. The ball soars right down the middle. It lands on the front of the green. It takes a couple of hops, and it goes right into the hole. It was a miraculous hole-in-one and, and Peter looked at God and he said, what? Why did you let that happen? I thought you were going to teach him a lesson. And God said, oh, that's punishment. Who can he tell? <laughs> Is that how God works? Is that our merciful and gracious God? 
Because if it is, we're in trouble. Not just with Sabbath, we're in trouble with a lot of things. Does God really bring judgment upon us when we disregard the Sabbath? If we miss church on Sunday, is God mad at us? If, if we work overtime on Sunday, does God send curses and plagues on our lives? And I pray that today, the only Sabbath teaching I'm going to do this year, okay? I pray that today I can help you see the true value and the true purpose of the Sabbath and what it means for you, what it is and what it is not. Now, let me say this before I really dig deep into this is that you have to understand that with Sabbath, and as you're going to see, there has to be this balance that takes place. Because you can become so legalistic with Sabbath that it becomes dangerous. But you can also become so light with Sabbath that it becomes dangerous. And so as we process this and we, we look in the scriptures today, I want you to understand what God is trying to say to us. And more than anything else, more than a day of the week, I want us to adopt the spirit of Sabbath into our regular lives so that we understand what it is, what it means, and how it does refresh and replenish us. And so just open your heart today and, and, and let God, let the Holy Spirit just deal with you right now on the subject of Sabbath. One of the strengths of rabbinic Judaism is what they refer to as making a fence around the Torah. Now, I know I'm saying some words here that, that some of you are probably thinking, I, this is, this is going to be a lecture, and I don't, I'm not sure if I'm in for this. Stay with me just for a moment, okay? And if you disagree with me on any of this, just trust me. Trust me with this. You don't want to come at me on the subject of Sabbath, okay? I'm the Sabbath preacher, right? No, listen, I have studied the Sabbath through and through. I've read more books than what I care to about the subject of Sabbath, and it has been life-changing for me. But let me, let me just explain to you and expound upon what I'm talking about here, about making a fence around the Torah, how the rabbis decided to build a fence around the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is what we refer to as the Torah. Now, much like the frames that are in my office, I have these frames that I, I wish to protect certain things, certain items in my office. This, this is what they're kind of talking about when they talk about building this fence around the, the, the Torah. Like, I have my ministerial certificates. I, I've got my exhorter license, I have my ordination, and then I have my ordained bishop certificate. All of those are framed and matted in my office to protect them. I don't want those things to get messed up. I've got this autographed lithograph of Larry Bird, huge, in my office. There's only 600 of them uh, made and, and signed. And I have that in my office, and it's framed in my office to protect it. I, I've got a jersey that one of our missionary friends gave me, a Larry Bird jersey that's autographed in my office, and it's framed to protect it. I have various uh, basketballs and footballs in my office. Please don't break into my office. I just thought about this. Like, like. What? Pastor Andrew's got a Dan Marino helmet in his office. <laughs> if you're going to take mine, take his too, okay? This, it, misery loves company, right? <laughs> I did. It just hit me. I'm like, somebody in that audience is listening to, taking notes right now and looking up how much all this stuff is worth. <laughs> Mike and Noda, I see you. Various basketballs and footballs in my office with autographs on them, and they're in display cases. Why? To protect them. 
because we don't want something to happen to them. Well, see, this is what happened with Israel. The Hebrews, the Israelites, they disregarded Sabbath for, for, for many, many years. And every time that they would, that they would forget to observe Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath holy, every time that they would, stuff would happen, man. Um, enemies would come in and, and begin to conquer them. And, and, and they just they would find themselves in, in, a, in, a, in a place of despair, a dire strait. And it was just, it was just rough stuff that they had to go through. And, and it all boiled down to them disregarding Sabbath. And so in an effort not to let that happen, through the years, they began to build fences around them, walls, if you will. Now, this is not a political sermon at all, okay? Some walls are good, some walls are bad. But they began to build walls around to protect the Torah, okay? Because they did not want to disregard it. That's good. That's good. But how many of you can agree with me that sometimes in your effort to protect something, you can go overboard? That's exactly what happened. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of Moses, God gave Moses the law which included the Ten Commandments. Now, you remember that, you know. Moses comes down, he's holding those three tablets when he comes down off the mountain. One slips out of his hand, it breaks. I've got 15, no, 10 commandments, you know. That's a joke and only a few people in the room are going to get what movie that's from, but you'll, you'll understand it. But we look at those two tablets, the stone tablets, and we think, that's the Ten Commandments. That's what we picture. But what you have to realize is that God gave him the entire law, which included the Ten Commandments. But there was fine print all over these, these stone tablets. And, and so they, they had the law of Moses that God gave to him. And, and one of those Ten Commandments listed in the law, along with thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, one, one of the commandments was to keep the Sabbath day holy and resting from work on that day. But you see, it, it went back even farther than that. It went back to the beginning of humanity because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so God blessed the seventh day and he made that day holy. So God made the Sabbath holy. Somebody say holy. God made the Sabbath day holy. Your job is just to keep it holy. Hear me out. You can't create the Sabbath. You don't have that power. You don't have that ability. You can't create time. You know, we have this saying, you know, I'll, I'll make time for that. You can't make time. You can set aside time, but you can't make time. All the time that's going to be has already been made. You can't make time. You can't create a day. And you can't make a day holy. Only God can do that, and he did. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, but he did give you the ability to keep it holy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the commandment for us. Keep it holy. God's already made it holy. Keep it holy. But unfortunately, as time progressed, Jewish rabbis got their hands on this commandment and they felt like they had to put a hedge of protection around the law, a fence around it. And by the time that, that Christ came and walked the earth, they had created 39 different categories uh, of prohibitions on the Sabbath. And each one of those 39 categories in this man-made Mishnah is what it's called, it listed hundreds of subcategories of activities that could not be performed on the Sabbath. 
So with 39 different categories, with hundreds more listed under those, uh, those categories, now you had thousands of things you could not do on the Sabbath. And if you did those things according to this man-made law, you were breaking the Sabbath. And, and many of them were ridiculous. Now some of them we could understand. Like, don't go plow your field. That constitutes it as work. And so if you are a law-abiding Jew, you're, you're not going to go work on the Sabbath. You're not going to go plow a field. But like I said, some of these things were absolutely ridiculous. Tying certain types of knots was prohibited. You were only allowed to tie a knot that could be untied with one hand. That didn't constitute as work. This is true. I'm not making this stuff up. You could not spit on the ground because if you were to spit upon the ground, that would disturb the ground, and that was classified as plowing. So don't spit on the ground when, when you're observing Sabbath. Women were forbidden to look in the mirror because if they were to look in the mirror, they might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck the gray hair out, and that was considered work. So women, you couldn't look in the mirror on the day of Sabbath. You couldn't even walk through grass. Just walk through grass because it might bend or break some of the grass. And that was considered threshing. I think you can see how ridiculous these 39 categories with all of their subcategories, thousands of laws made, and none of that is what God said. God didn't say any of that. It was in this hypercritical atmosphere that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. Remember, he, he never said, I'm coming to abolish it. He said, I'm coming to fulfill the law. And what he means by that is, I'm coming to give you the right understanding of what the law means for your life, how it can be applied to your life, and I'm going to fulfill this in your life for you. And so Jesus comes in this hypercritical atmosphere, and the religious pious, the Pharisees, they were in direct opposition to what Christ was teaching. And church, I wonder sometimes, stay with me, I need you here right now, I wonder sometimes if the spirit of Antichrist against Christ, right, I wonder if the spirit of Antichrist has infiltrated the church and created hypercritical legalistic Pharisees that, that take more joy in picking apart ministry than actually participating in it. This is tough. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to step on toes today, but this is my only time of the year I'm going to teach on Sabbath, okay? you got to be careful because we have a lot of man-made opinions that invade the church, and when they get into the church, suddenly mercy and grace flow right out. And we've got to be careful. There is a fine line. Now listen, I don't believe that we have to be over here on hyper-grace either. We just need a true understanding of what grace is. And if we're not careful, let me tell you a few things you need to be careful of. Be careful of those that judge what people wear to church. I wore my brightest tennis shoes today on purpose. I want you to judge me. <laughs> be careful of those that judge what people wear to church. I got so angry one time in the middle school when we were having our services there and this has been a number of years ago, but, but there was a young man that came to our church, first time ever coming to our church, and he was sitting on the very back row, and he was wearing a baseball cap. Now listen, if you're wearing a baseball cap, you're welcome to wear a baseball cap as long as it has the DCC logo on it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we, we, 
we're not legalistic on that, okay? Matter of fact, if you go to the, to the Wailing Wall, if you go to the, 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 the wall there in, in Jerusalem, you have to cover your head before you can go into the presence of God and pray, okay? So we're not legalistic here. Do whatever you want to. And some of you, you didn't even wash your hair today, so you need to wear that. But somebody walked up to this young man during one of our services and took the hat off his head and told him, you're not to wear a hat like that in, in church. Don't wear a hat. Be respectful. I'm thankful that that young man came to me and told me what had happened. Now, he, he tried his best to describe who it was. It's probably by the grace of God he could not describe who it was. And if it was you, shame on you. Be careful of those that look down their nose at how people dress when they come to church. Be careful of those that criticize worship styles and song selections. Be careful of those that find fault in delivery methods and preaching styles. Be careful of those that are critical of the practices of the sacraments. Take, for instance, this. And this is something, this is a battle that I face every, every year, numerous times a year. But there's really two camps when it comes to baptism, okay? There, there's those that, that baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's those that baptize in the name of Jesus. Now listen to me. Hear me out on this, okay? This is a spirit. And I want to make sure everybody understands this. I baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us to do that in Scripture. Although Peter said, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't care to argue this with anyone. The last time I checked, the Son of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. I've never denied that. Anyone that ever hears me preach knows that I believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm not going to apologize for it, but I'm also not going to look down my nose at someone that baptizes in the name of Jesus. Why? Why do we get to these places and churches where we want to pick each other apart when both are right there in Scripture and both are listed? Why do we want to, to split hairs on these kinds of arguments? I don't have time for that in my life. There is a lost world out there that needs Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, I'm not, no longer spinning my wheels trying to help someone understand if they have a critical spirit and they, 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 there's no mercy and no grace operating in their lives. I'm just not going there anymore. Be careful of those that argue that Sabbath can only be on Saturday or that Sabbath can only be on Sunday. There's two camps with that. Be careful. Because I'm telling you, this, this is an antichrist spirit against Christ. This is what Jesus was trying to fight. When he came against the religious pious, this is what it was. They had such just, just religious rhetoric and, and just, just these, these, these ways about them that, that you have to do it the way I see it or you're wrong. And it's all of these man-made rules. Listen, when it comes to worship, I've got friends that are Seventh-day Adventists. I have no problem with them. CJ, you came out of an atmosphere of Seventh-day Adventists. I went and heard you speak at a church on a Saturday, and I worshiped on a Saturday. We're going to worship on Sunday. It works out best for us, and so we worship on Sunday. But let me tell you this. I also worship on Monday, and I worship on Tuesday, and I worship on Wednesday, and I worship on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. You know Why? Because worship is a lifestyle. It has to become who we are. And Sabbath isn't just one day. The spirit of Sabbath will invade your life and you will see the kingdom of God completely different if you'll get it and let it get into your spirit.
These are the things that Jesus was fighting against. It's a pharisaical spirit that that takes the focus off of true worship and it makes us focus on petty differences that have no place in the church. And the enemy wants us complicating the law, not living or loving the giver of the law. You see, we've got to fall in love with the giver of the law, the one who set it all in motion to begin with. And the Pharisees were complicating our relationship with the Father, and Jesus said, I've come to set the record straight. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard. And we see this played out on a particular Sabbath day as Jesus and his disciples were traveling. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read the end of Mark chapter 2, and then I'm going to flow right into Mark chapter 3, okay? Without skipping any verses, I'm just going to move right in. And, and I want you to see how Jesus handled this on this particular Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, what are they doing? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's the way I picture this, okay? Jesus is walking in front. How do I know that? Because he looked at these men and he said, follow me. He wasn't following them. They were following him. So Jesus is walking through the grain field. His disciples are behind him. He gets to the other side and the Pharisees are waiting on him and said, Why are they picking grain on the Sabbath? Why are they working on the Sabbath? And I picture Jesus just going, guys, you knew they were watching. There's a McDonald's right up the road. Come on. You couldn't wait just a little while? No. Jesus looked at them, and he knew that this religious mindset had to be broken. Jesus looked at these Pharisees, and he's got some thoughts. He's got some stuff that he needs to get off his chest with them because it's here where Jesus flips the script on their their Sabbath traditions. Listen to verse 25. And he, Jesus, said to them, Have you never read what David did? Now he takes them back to the Old Testament. They all love David. Man, he was the best king of Israel, right? He takes them back to the Old Testament. He says, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence. And I know at this moment there had to be a gasp, like, oh. He said, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And, and these are some bold claims that Jesus made. But we're going to come back to those in just a second, okay? Let's continue with the text. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, the very next thing that it says. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, now listen, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Listen. He's flipping the script on them. And and you would think that common sense would just come about. But you know, sometimes when people are so religious-minded and they're so set in their legalistic ways, common sense just flows right out the window. Oh, you've never met anybody like that. You would think they would understand it. And to help them understand, Jesus just kind of lays it out. He says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? 
Of course, we, we would say it, it, it would be better for you to do good than harm. He said, to save life or to kill. But they're silent. They don't have anything to say. Why? Because God is speaking to them and they are found guilty in their sinful nature in this moment. But they're silent. And he looked around at them with anger. And that gives me so much hope for my own soul. That Jesus looked at them with anger. Because there's a few times I look at people with anger. None of you, but I look at people with anger. The Bible says he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now listen, these men, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they would rather this man go through life with a withered hand than to be healed on the Sabbath. That's how legalistic they were. Now, the Bible mentions the Herodians in a few different places. We don't, we don't know much about them, but we know a few things about them. And the, the Herodians, they were a Jewish political party that wanted to see the bloodline of King Herod. Remember King Herod? He was the king uh, of Judea during the time of, of Christ being born. They wanted to see the bloodline of King Herod restored back into control of the land. They wanted to see the bloodline of King Herod back on the throne. The Pharisees were a strict religious party that stuck to the oral traditions of the law, and they valued their works. It, everything was works-driven. Let me explain this to you, especially for some of you new Christians in the room. Listen to me. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by anything that you do. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. The only thing you can do is realize Jesus Christ paid that price for you and receive him as your Lord and Savior. You can't work your way there. Once you're saved, you're saved for good works. That's a natural byproduct. I mean, it's where we want to serve our kingdom, serve, or serve his kingdom and serve our community. That's, that's where all that comes in. But the, the Pharisees, they valued their works and their outward piety, and they despised Rome. Therefore, needless to say, these two groups of people, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they didn't like each other very much. They bumped heads all the time. But their hate for Jesus brought them together. Their hate for Jesus brought these two groups of people that couldn't stand each other. Their hate brought them together. To the Herodians, Jesus was a threat to their political power. To the Pharisees, Jesus was a threat to their religious power. And, and anybody, anybody that's involved with either one, politics or religion, if you threaten their power, they are going to get upset with you and they may even kill you. I'm not talking about biblical times. I'm talking about now, today. If you threaten someone's political power, watch out. If you threaten someone's religious power, watch out. That's what they had in common. And nothing will unite your enemies against you like the power of God working in your life. You want to know why the two people that don't like you are now friends? Because God's working in your life. You know what it's like. You've heard them talk bad about each other. But then you walked in the restaurant and they're sitting together. And you are the only thing they have in common. It will. The power of God operating in your life, it will unite your enemies against you. When you are fulfilling your life's purpose, 
purpose, Satan will combine forces against you to discourage you. And that's all he's trying to do. He's trying to discourage you, to get your trust away from God because you can't please God without faith, without trust. You can't please him. And so he, he wants to demolish that in your life. And so here's what it looks like. He'll combine forces. You have bills due. You've got to go to work. There, there's just no, you've got to work overtime. You've got to because you've got this stack of bills that have to be paid but you also know that your children are suffering right now because they are not having quality time with mom or quality time with dad, and they need you right now, and you've got these combined forces that are coming against you right now. You need to meet with a client after work. You need to. It's so important. It's a, it's a big deal. You need to meet with them, but you promised your wife that you and, and, and her and the kids were going to go out to dinner. And, 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 and you've been neglecting them lately. And, and so now you've got these two forces that, that are coming against you. And, and, and Satan's goal is to keep you restless in the fight. Because when you have multiple forces coming at you from every angle, you're never going to find any rest. It's always, you're always going to feel like you're under attack, attack from every side. And Satan just wants to keep you that busy, not just physically, but that busy mentally having to worry about all of that stuff. And if he can keep you there, then he's got you right where he wants you because you're never going to find that peace. Unrest is the weapon that Satan uses against your life. But watch Watch how Jesus flips the script. Verses 27 and 28 of our text, Mark chapter 2. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now hear what he said. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Church, please get this in you. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us. Not us for the Sabbath. Sabbath is meant to serve us. Not us serve Sabbath. I don't think you're getting this. Let me take you back to the beginning of creation, okay? God worked for six days. On the sixth day, he creates man. The first full day that man is alive, God says, today I rest. Before you ever picked up a hammer, before you ever raked a yard, before humanity ever worked one day, God said, the very first day you're alive, I'm going to teach you how to rest. This is how important it is for your survival. If you don't do this, you're going to die. And let me tell you, church, if you don't adopt Sabbath rest in your life, you're going to die. It's going to kill you. Because I know it was killing me. I was dying as a young man because I had no idea what Sabbath looked like, what it meant, and it wasn't until God arrested my heart and began teaching me about Sabbath and what it means to prioritize my relationship with him, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids, and it completely changed my life, and I'm telling you, it saved my life. There's no telling where I would have ended up and the mistakes I would have made because when you're mentally exhausted, you will make decisions that will alter the rest of your life. Tell me I'm wrong. When you are mentally drained, 
The enemy will work on you and he will put decisions in front of you that you would never make had you had the proper mental rest, had you had the time down like he, like God described it. And God said, listen, I'm gonna teach you how to do this, but you're gonna start your life. You're gonna start your first week alive. You're gonna start it with rest and then we'll work for six days. But then it's like rhythm. It's gonna come around again and I'm gonna give you another day of rest. And this is created for you, Jesus said. You need this. It's not that God needed to rest. He never sleeps nor slumbers, okay? God didn't need rest. He needed to show you how to rest. Jesus said, it's not made for you to have to keep all of these rules and regulations and 39 categories and thousands of other subcategories. He said, that's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is made for man. It's made to serve us, not us serve the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And, and what the Pharisees did this day is they, they made it seem as though the disciples were hard at work and they were not. Because that's what religious people will do. They'll take it and they'll twist it and they'll make you look like you are deep in sin. But, but the disciples were not hard at work like they were accusing them of. They were simply walking through the field, plucking grain, uh, heads of grain. Luke chapter 6 tells us the same story. And in verse 1 it says that they were rubbing them in their hands. So they were plucking the grain, rubbing them in their hands, and then they were eating them. So church, it's just this simple. They were simply walking through a field and eating raw oatmeal. It's what it, it wasn't even good. It's survival. And they're just walking through and they're just grabbing these, these heads of grain and they're rubbing them in their hands and they're popping them in their mouth as they walk through this field. They were not breaking the laws of God. A matter of fact, Deuteronomy 23 and 25 made a specific allowance for picking handfuls of grain from another person's field. You couldn't go and just harvest their field, but if you walk through their field, grab you some. It's fine. And God said it's perfectly fine. You're not stealing. Go ahead and do that. So they're well within the law. They were, however, breaking the man-made legalistic script that took the joy out of keeping the Sabbath. That's what I really want to talk to you about. That's what's important for us because Jesus was playing the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Today, church, listen to me. Today is made for you. He made this day for you. This is the day that the Lord has made. And he made it for you. Yes, yes, we, we gather together and we worship God, but do you know when you worship God, it is actually to your benefit? God's surrounded by angels that worship him 24-7. We gather together because it's to our benefit to worship him. Because when we begin worshiping God, truly worshiping God, you ever had that moment where your hands go up and the tears begin to flow because you walked into this room carrying the burdens of life and they are heavy? But you find that moment when your hands begin to raise and it's in worshiping him that you are benefited because it's in that moment that suddenly he begins to lift those burdens from you. You don't care anymore because you're standing in the presence of a holy God and you recognize his role in your life. He says, I care for you, so cast your cares on me.
Worship does that. It's through our worship that we just abandon all the thoughts and we focus our attention on a holy God, the only one that we should be focused on. This is the day that we get to rest from every worry, every care, every concern, all the stress. We get to rest on the Sabbath day from all of that if we will just allow God to be God in our lives. And it's through our worship that we recognize our God, the Lord of the Sabbath, and, and that he has our lives in his hands Psalm 55 and 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. This is a day, listen to me. This is a day of emotional, spiritual, and even physical healing. That when you walk in here and emotionally you're drained. When spiritually you're depleted and physically you need a touch from God, you walk into the church on Sabbath and you say, God, today I'm here to meet with you and I'm going to pour my praise out because when I pour my praise out, you inhabit that praise and all I need is just to be in your presence, God. And once I'm in your presence, all of that stuff seems to vanish. It all seems to disappear. You know, they criticized Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. We read in our text, not only did he heal that man with a withered hand on a Sabbath, but in John chapter 9, he healed a man that was born blind on the Sabbath. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of fever. She was running a high fever, and he healed her on the Sabbath. He walked out of the synagogue from teaching, and he walked over to Peter's house. I've been there. I know just how close it was. It was just a stone's throw away, and he walked in, and he healed that woman on the Sabbath. We know that Jesus healed at least seven different people on the, sab on the Sabbath day, reestablishing what the Sabbath was created for, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they hated him for it. But Jesus, he, he restored what Sabbath was created for. Sabbath is not meant to be burdensome. I don't want you to think that way at all. Listen, if you have to miss church next Sunday, I don't want you to think anyone here. We're not, we're not the Pharisees. We're not going to judge you for that. But when we do develop a Sabbath mindset, it's not burdensome. Sabbath isn't meant to just be endured. That's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath, it's a get to and not a have to. But doesn't that, that describes our relationship with Christ, Christianity, because words, words just fail, but, but Christianity. Is that not what Christianity should be? It should not be burdensome. It should not be just endured. It should be a get-to and not a have-to. And we've, we've, we've reversed all of that for some reason. And we have this man-made script of what we think it should look like, but Jesus returned Sabbath back to its intentions. Sabbath is a day of rest from normal labors, a benefit and a blessing to all who keep it. Sabbath is a day to remember who God was and who he is and what he has done for you, and, and we observe the coming Sabbath. You, 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 you remember the Sabbath, what God did, but the Jews also observe the coming Sabbath, what he's going to do. Sabbath, it sustains you individually, and if we would allow it to, Sabbath would sustain a, a nation corporately. But we've got to establish the Sabbath spirit back in our hearts to truly understand what it means. Can you live without it? Yeah, you can live without Sabbath, just not as long. But you can live without it. I figured this thing out, though. 
Satan wants you exhausted. That's his goal. Some of you know what I mean because you walked into this room today completely exhausted. You don't want to think about anything. You don't want to do anything. You're just, you're exhausted. And that's how Satan wants us. That's why he bombards our life with all these cares and all these concerns is because that's where Satan wants us, exhausted. He does not want you to catch your breath. You know, it's, it's hard to function when you can't breathe. I know this firsthand. I know this. When I was five years old, it's the earliest memory I have of my childhood. I don't know why, but for some reason, five years old. We were over at a church member's house. They were having a cookout. My dad was the pastor, and we were over at their house. And there was this tree, and to me it looked enormous, but it was probably only like seven or eight feet tall. And I started climbing this tree. And my mom looked at me. I'll never forget. My mom said, you need to be careful. I said, I'm going to be careful. And then my hand slipped, and I fell, and I landed flat on my back. Now, if you've never had the wind knocked out of you, it's awful. Little five-year-old Rocky, I thought I was dying. Because when you get the wind knocked out of you, you can't say anything. I couldn't even ask for help. I mean, like, mom and dad, they look over at me, and they're like, you okay? And I'm like, and it's scary. My life, all five years of it, flashed before my eyes. Fast forward to high school. At the end of every practice, depending on how mad my coach was, he would make us run these things called suicides. Horrible name for, for sprints, but suicides. And if you don't know what they are, you start on the baseline and you run, you touch the foul line, come back, touch the baseline, you run and touch half court, you come back, touch the baseline, run and touch the other uh, uh, free throw line, come back, touch it, go all the way to the end, come back, touch it, that's one. And sometimes we would run 15 to 20 of them. And I remember, I mean, I'd get halfway through the first one, and this guy beside me, he'd want to start talking to me. Like, while we're running, he wants to talk to me. And I'm like, I can't. I'm just trying to get oxygen in to succeed here in running what I hate to run. I hate it. I do. I just hate running. Even as an adult. Oh, who am I kidding? I don't run as an adult. <laughs> it's hard to function when you can't breathe. You can't speak. You can't act. You can't function. It's hard to praise God when you're out of breath. Psalm 150 and verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Why do you think Satan wants you so exhausted? Because he knows when you're out of breath, when you are completely exhausted, that you won't praise God. And if you don't praise God, then you don't get the benefit of having the presence of God in your life. So what does Satan do? He convinces you that you need to be so busy and we develop lifestyles that, that we can't support because we won't, 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 won't. Stacks of bills that we can't pay 
And there's never any relief. And we walk into the sanctuary physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. And God said, I made the Sabbath day holy and it's for your benefit. Jesus said, the Sabbath day was made for you. You're going to win if you keep the Sabbath. And it's not this legalistic mindset that sometimes church has become. No. It's learning to put things in perspective and learning to trust God. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Listen, though the legalism of Sabbath should be lost and needs to be lost, the purpose of Sabbath should not be. And, and whether they do it the right way or not, through the years, the Jewish people, they have kept Sabbath in good times and bad times. It's amazing to me to watch how, how dedicated they are to it. They have kept Sabbath under siege. They have kept Sabbath during famine. They have kept Sabbath during drought. They, they kept Sabbath in Warsaw's ghettos. They kept sa Sabbath in Hitler's death camps. They kept Sabbath in Stalin's gulag. They just kept Sabbath. Right or wrong, legalistic or not, they kept Sabbath. And the rabbis have a saying that more than Israel ever kept Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. And let me tell you about my life after I figured this thing out. When I learned to prioritize and put the things in the right order and not my career ahead of my home, not my career ahead of my God. Yes, even pastors can put their career ahead of God. When I figured this out, the Sabbath kept me a whole lot more than I kept it. And it has protected me. It's given me breathing room. And there's a reason why I can lift my voice today and I can worship. Even in the most trying of circumstances. Even when things happen that I don't understand. Even in a week. That will have to bear your friend. He says, come to me. All you who are weary. 
figure that out. You'll find the Sabbath rest that was promised for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.